Welcome back to the fourth episode of the Carolyn Glick Mideast News Hour. I'm joined today again by my co-host, Gotti Taub. Hi, Gotti. Hi, Carolyn. How are you? Great. It's great to have you back. Gotti left us for a vacation last week. I know, I know, but it's okay. He's back. And uh, we enjoyed uh, last week with Dan Dariker. Um, so since we last met, uh, there have been two major uh, news stories in Israel. Uh, the first one happened last Thursday night. Uh, at the Jewish festival of Lag Baomer. Lag, Lag in Hebrew letters means 33, and it's the 33rd day of the Omer, which is the seven weeks that separate the festival of uh, Passover, where we mark the exodus from Egypt with the festival of Shavuot, where we mark uh, the acceptance of the Torah, the God's giving of the Torah to the, to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. And the 33rd day of the Omer, that whole period of seven weeks is sort of a mournful period of getting ready to receive the Torah. The 33rd day of the Omer uh, is a day that commemorates uh, the Jewish rebellion from the against the Roman Empire, where the Jews uh, were rebelling first and foremost against the Roman edict to prohibit Torah study. And one of the things that religious Jews do on, the, on that day is they go up and they pray and they uh, and they celebrate at the uh, grave of the great sage of that era, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and they go up by the tens and hundreds of thousands. Uh, this year, after the corona last year, there was no uh, event there because of corona, uh, but this year there was, and there were about 100,000 people there. And uh, in one area by the mausoleum uh, to the rabbi, uh, there was a very narrow exit. And... Um, there were around 10,000 people there at the time at around one o'clock in the morning. And because of the slippery, uh, there was, it was slippery, the, the sort of the exit, the narrow sleeve that everybody was supposed to go down. You had a situation where people were falling and the push from, from behind caused a human stampede. Uh, and as a result, uh, tragically, 45 people uh, ranging in ages from uh, 13 to 65 were killed. Uh, on the mountaintop, died on the mountaintop that evening. And so the festival of Lagbomer turned into a national tragedy. So that was the first terrible uh, event of the week. And now there are calls reasonably for commissions of inquiry to look into what happened. And already what we're seeing is that part of the problem was an amorphous uh, management uh, arrangement at that holy site, which is the second most visited holy site in Israel after the Western Wall of the Temple. Um, and uh, it had a consortium of different groups with no no specific group being particularly in charge. Uh, that was as a result of, uh, in part at least, of a very um, impractical and not at all well thought out uh, ruling by the Supreme Court on the issue in 2016, to, which... Um, uh, just shows, I won't get into too many details about that, just that justices shouldn't be governing and they shouldn't be second guessing uh, the government on how best to manage things. Because sometimes, in fact, in the case of Israel's imperial Supreme Court, quite often the justices simply don't know what they're talking about. Um, and the heavy hand of Israel's Supreme Court and its legal fraternity has also been felt and is felt on a daily basis in the second area where we've had our major story of the week, which is Israel's ongoing political crisis, where uh, in the wake of another uh, inconclusive election that we had on the 21st of March, um, there doesn't seem to be a very clear governing uh, majority either to Prime Minister Netanyahu or to the left uh, and the left-wing coalition now led by uh, opposition leader uh, Yair Lapid. And uh, these sides have been sort of locked in confrontation now for over two years since the first election in April 2019 uh, with no conclusion. And um, four weeks ago, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu received a mandate from the head of state, the president of Israel, to form a coalition. He had 59 seats that were willing to work with him, and he needed 61 to get a governing majority in Israel's 120-seat Knesset. And um, he could not budge the two right-wing parties who hate him, who are led by people who hate him. They're small parties. Uh, one has six seats, one has seven. And as a result, he wasn't able to build a stable right-wing governing coalition 
And as of uh, Tuesday afternoon, which is when we're taping this show, uh, it appeared that uh, Netanyahu was going to have to return his mandate to the president. And uh, and we were going to get uh, three very small right-wing parties mm -hmm. uh, working with the left wing to have a left-wing dominated coalition government that would be led uh, sort of a... Uh, a puppet uh, premier from uh, one of the right-wing parties. It's probably, it's, it's probably, I think, safe to say that this is going to be, if indeed this coalition forms, the first post-Zionist coalition that, that Israel would have. It would be supported by two Arab parties. Everybody is, um, is saying about the right, what do you have against Arab citizens of Israel, which, is course, which of course is not the point. The point is that these parties reject the right of Jews to self-determination. So they're anti-Zionist, they're against the, 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 the idea of a Jewish nation state. So they will be the cornerstone of this coalition. Then there are the left, the left, uh, the left wing um, uh, parties, which are no longer, I come from the, the Zionist left, which are not, no longer even clearly Zionist. They're, they're, not, they're not renouncing Zionism outright, but, but they're increasingly progressive in the American sense. So, so they, they increasingly look like the, the radical wing of, the, of the, the Democratic Party in America. And then on top of this, uh, on this monster, you would have uh, Avigdor Lieberman, the Russian immigrant Israel Beitenu party, uh, which is supposedly right wing. I don't know what to make of them. They're 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 for now they're anti Haredim, verging on anti Semitism in their in their vicious propaganda. And then there is uh, Gidon Saar who seceded. Should I say, Carmen? Well, he the abandoned Likud. the he he abandoned Likud. He was a senior uh, Likud minister, and he abandoned the party to form his new party, Tikva Chadasha, uh, the New Hope, which was a Lincoln project. Uh, initiative. He was. It, it was. He was early on. He was advised by the Lincoln Project, which is, of course, the former Republicans who have been pushing for the Democrats from the moment that Trump was inaugurated president in 2017, and they came over to Israel uh, to help Gidon Saar be the never Trump, uh, never Netanyahu party uh, to use right wing votes to to steal them away from the right and give them to the left. And so Gidon Saar is. is it's, some have dubbed it a hate party because it, it clearly his agenda is just anti-Netanyahu. And then you said that Netanyahu had 59 in the coalition of the right. But um, I've, you know, there's there's the Yamina party headed by Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked, who supposedly come from the settler movement or supposedly uh, represented the the Itnachalut, the settlement. And, and I don't think they've been aiming for a right-wing coalition from the start. If, if Netanyahu had 61, they would have a problem to switch to the other side, but they, uh, they exacerbated this, this crisis. And, uh, you know, I interviewed on my podcast uh, uh, Betalil Smutrich, who is the head of the Tzionut uh, Datit, the religious, religious Zionist party. And he, and he said he left Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked. He said, and I made this the, the, the title of the podcast. He said, Naftali Bennett is not aiming at a right-wing block. So they, so they were a Trojan horse from the beginning. And if you think about Naftali Bennett's personal ambition, it's clear why. Because in the right-wing block, he, it, it, it's very difficult for him to become a So I think that here's a, here's a place where we should probably uh, explain to the, 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 our, our viewers and our listeners um, you know, the history here. Uh, I personally know yeah. Naftali and uh, Ayelet very, very well. I've known them for well over a decade. Uh, and uh, Naftali, for, for several years before he went into politics, was a close friend of mine. And um, there's always been some question about him. He took over the National Religious Party, which was the ideological party of the of the uh, religious Zionists in Israel uh, in 2012, and he renamed it the Jewish Home Party. Um, and he wanted to turn it into a second Likud. He had this ambition. He's never hidden his ambition to become prime minister. You can't really become prime minister at least until today, uh, from a party that isn't a ruling faction, that's just a uh, sectoral party that represents just one sector of Israeli society, in this case, the religious Zionists. Um, in 2019 uh, or 2018, he asked me to join him and run for uh, Knesset with the uh, Jewish Home Party. 
Uh, he said that he would give me sort of the top uh, reserve spot for somebody that comes in from the outside, and and I agreed. And then out from nowhere, um, and I did because you know I'm sort of to the right of Likud. I mean, my views are are ideologically right. Um, I wrote a book. Uh, it's behind us. It's called uh, the Israeli Solution. And it makes the case for Israeli uh, application of Israeli law over all of Judea and Samaria. Uh, so it's larger than the Trump plan in in terms of uh, of what it it uh, it recommends doing for Israel, and it certainly opposes a two state plan uh, for the establishment of a Palestinian terror state in Israel's heartland. Um, but uh, you know, I come from the ideological right, and he and it was a good friend of mine, and I was friendly with Ayelet. And there have always been doubts about them because when they first got elected to the Knesset in 2013, uh, they made this sort of pact with Yair Lapid and his left-wing party uh, that neither of them would join the government without the other one. And uh, and effectively what they did was they, uh, by joining together, they formed the most unstable coalition uh, that we had, that Netanyahu had had, and he ended up overturning his own government just 15 months after it uh, began operating because Naftali and and uh, and Yair Lapid and Sipi Livni, who was then the justice minister from her minor party, uh, were actively working to subvert the government to undermine Netanyahu uh, in various ways, which we don't have to get into. So there were always doubts about what he was doing, but here he was leading this ideologically right-wing party and saying all of the right things publicly, and he had all the right friends ostensibly, uh, and uh, and yet there were these lingering doubts about him, and they were, to a degree, they were borne out when he served as uh, education minister in uh, the Netanyahu that, government that was formed in 2015, because the permanent appointments that he made at the education ministry and the sort of the permanent uh, government in Israel that they have to get tenure in their positions. Uh, including the uh, position of the person who's in charge of all social studies uh, classes in Israel. So that's a very political uh, job. Um, he gave it to a post-Zionist, and there was a big hullabaloo before it was approved, and all of his constituents that were engaged in this issue were saying that he mustn't approve it, uh, and he turned his back on them. But He's a very good salesman. That's what he did before he entered politics. He was selling his high-tech uh, companies and making exits right, left, and center. And uh, and that was how he became a very wealthy man, and he joined politics. And um, he and, and Ayala Chiquette did the same thing. She was justice minister, and she kept talking about the need for judicial reform and legal reform. And she did get a couple of uh, more or less conservative justices uh, appointed. She got one that actually is a conservative justice um, appointed, but she also appointed more progressive judges, more post-Zionist judges, more radical judges. And um, she did all of this while um, by while empowering the legal fraternity, the attorney general and the state prosecution to extents that nobody had ever imagined. And she did all of this while attacking them publicly so that she was very much... Uh, she was very much uh, 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 hiding her actual agenda or, or pushing two agendas at once, one to her constituents and one in, in practice. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think based upon... But you were supposed to be in the Knesset then. And, and, and the thing is that, that in that round of election, it was the first round in, in April uh, 2019, they were 1,400 1, votes below... The, the, the threshold, the, the the threshold percentage, which means that everyone, all the votes they did get, which was almost four uh, seats in the Knesset, just just was were disappeared. They they lost more votes historically than I think any any single party has ever lost. I mean, because what happened was all of those votes were were just thrown into the garbage can. Everybody who voted for us was a, was a lost vote, and it was because of that that even though you had a massive majority for the right uh, in April 19, uh, Netanyahu wasn't able to form a government. And we can get into that a little bit more. But what I wanted to say was then, because I'm telling my saga, I'm telling my story. See, Gadi, I just want to <laughs> share with our viewers. So, uh, you know, a lot of people... Will, Thanks for sharing. Gary. No problem. You know, that's what we do now in, in our in our In our post, 12 steps. <laughs> in, or whatever, in, in our post 
reason world we all just share. But this actually has, uh, you know, wider implications, which is why I'm sharing this and not what I made for my children to eat for for breakfast uh, this morning. Um, although that would be shorter. Uh, but the point is that uh, the thing that the tell in uh, those elections that we ran, uh, there were several, but one of them was that they suddenly at the last minute decided that they didn't want to run with the uh, Jewish Home Party. That they wanted to split. They wanted to start a new party. And uh, I made a mistake at that point where I didn't understand the implications of what they had just done. And I went ahead with the plan that we had had for the other party, which was a, you know, which is a party that's existed since the founding of the state. And uh, and I didn't realize the implications. I thought, well, it, they're still the same ideologically uh, driven uh, politicians they were before. And if I'm there, if they're actually asking me to be on the list with them, then that means that they're true ideologues, because why else would anybody turn to me? <laughs> and uh, and so I went ahead with them. But the thing is, is that uh, they nobody had ever voted for the new right. That's what they called themselves before. And they had no base because they just abandoned their base when they left their party. And and what Netan and what Netanyahu, what Naftali and Ayala did, which I thought was really bizarre, and I think in retrospect extremely telling, was that they refused to run an ideological campaign. It was all a personal campaign. It was all about them. It was all about how Naftali wanted to be defense minister and he was going to save Israel from Hamas, and that Naftali, and that Ayelet was going to you know uh, bring order to the uh, Supreme Court and she was going to fix everything uh, and have her her fake revolution in the legal fraternity. And it was all about them. It wasn't about any issues. It was all about them. And the thing and, is, with, and with the cockiness that, yeah. in retrospect, looks just ridiculous. Because I remember seeing that that uh, that uh, spot that Ayala did with a perfume called fascism, which no, was supposed. It, it was what. Was it fascism? Yeah, it was, it was fascism, fascism because right. it was supposed to, to to mock the idea that people call anything right fascism. And right. she she and Ayelet is very beautiful, so she was like in a model mode, and she sprayed this perfume on herself and said, "They call it fascism, but to me, it smells like democracy." And right. it was like, you, you, "You're you're not Saturday Night Live. You're supposed to be a serious party. What is this?" thing and they just they, they it gave the air like they think they're superstars and it's all in their pockets but that that's the other wasn't. thing is that they that they're a media party you know they're a party that was created by the media they're a party that exists because the very far left media in Israel has been pushing them since they entered politics and they've been pushed because they oppose Netanyahu because they're there's something that you can sell to people as a right-wing party that stands in opposition to Netanyahu, that Netanyahu doesn't like, that Netanyahu claims is phony. Um, and so what they get and what they've received for the past 10 years since or nine years since they entered politics is the most lavish, the most supportive uh, coverage that any right-wing politician in Israeli history has ever received. I mean, they get coverage that is, you know, is is, is sort of even better in a way than some left-wing politicians, which is just shocking. And it just shows that they are they are pawns in a much larger game of the left because the left knows that they cannot win a governing majority. And the only way that they can possibly form a, go a government in, in Israel where you have a very solid center-right majority of the population is by stealing votes from the right and bringing them to the left. And so what we're seeing now um, that you were you were talking about is that this this uh, bizarre coalition of far left of of anti-Zionist Arab parties and anti-Zionist left-wing party. I, mean, I never saw much difference between post-Zionist and anti-Zionist. You have uh, a labor. Uh, just think about this: the Labor Party was the party that founded the state of Israel. So this was David Ben Gurion's party. This was Golda Meir's party. Uh, this was the party that that ruled Israel basically alone uh, for the first uh, how many years? Thirty three years of its history. Uh, it was a one party state, and uh, now led by a post Zionist Merav Michaeli, uh, who is as radical as they come. I mean, she and AOC would be best friends if they were together. Uh, they even dress the same. Um, they, uh, sh uh, I guess, AOC dresses better, but. But they have that same look. Um, she uh, brought in an Arab woman named Ibtisam Marana on her list. And this is a woman who, who hates Israel, 
who has expressed deeply, I mean, Iranian-like anti-Semitism and hatred of this country. She called for the uh, obliteration of a city in Israel called Zichron Yaakov. And, and then at her her first speech at the Knesset, uh, she stood in the, on the, at the podium, the rostrum, and she talked about how her father told her that he had dug this mass grave of the victims of the massacre that Israeli forces perpetrated at the town of Tantura in 1948. And the problem with this is that this labor, uh, labor MK, this uh, a member of Knesset from the Labor Party, was spewing a blood libel because it's already been proven, not only by historical researchers, but also in a court, that there was no massacre whatsoever in 1948 at the town of Tantura. It was an entire lie. It was a pure fabrication. And here's this woman in an ostensibly Zionist party on the left uh, spewing this complete slander of Israeli soldiers and of the state of Israel and ascribing to this some sort of a familial tie that her, her father did something that never happened. So she's also saying her father is a liar. But 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 the whole thing was so absurd, and 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 it shows really the fusion of the Israeli left, the Israeli Jewish left, and the Israeli Arab anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic uh, far left. And and you know it's not surprising. This is you know this is what happened in the Communist Party in Israel. The Communist Party in Israel, Maki, the founding of the state, uh, was in a way very similar to to the Labor Party and Ben Gurion when he founded the country. Uh, he said that he wouldn't form a government with... Uh, Herut uh, or Maki. Right, with Herut, with Begin's party on the right, and he wouldn't form a government with Maki on the left. And here the woman who's taken over the name of the party that he led is Maki. So we have, you know, we have these situations here in Israel which uh, are impossible. But, you know, the one thing that Bennett and Shaked, because they have such belief in themselves and they, they're so impervious to, to, to rational thought and reason because they're so sure that they themselves are intrinsically supposed to be the leaders of this country, um, that the fact that the government that they want to found, that they want to form now, uh, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, uh, is going to be dominated by a very far left majority, uh, they don't think it matters. They, and and the funny thing, I was thinking about this, and this goes back to the Supreme Court making, making uh, rulings that have turned it and the attorney general in Israel into really the only significant decision makers in the country. They're far more powerful than all of our elected leaders. Um, I was thinking about it. Netanya uh, Naftali Bennett is now arranging with Yair Lapid that Naftali Bennett will be prime minister. And although the right wing is going to be a minority of the members of their coalition, um, it's supposed to have equal weight and also be in charge of, you know, the more important ministries. And so, you know, this is something that the left wing would would agree to that because they want so badly to get rid of Netanyahu because he's the most powerful right wing political force and he's a re, in one of the main obstacles to the left ever getting a, a governing majority on their own that they'll be willing to take this. And I thought about it. Well, no, because one of the left wing NGOs the next day after the government is formed is going to petition the Supreme Court and say it's unequitable or unconstitutional, not forgetting that Israel has no constitution, um, for uh, the right wing, which has fewer votes than the left, to have uh, control of the government. And the justices will sit, and they'll ruminate for about two and a half minutes, and they'll come back with a learned decision that actually that left wing NGO is perfectly correct, and therefore the government, as it, as it stands, is illegal illegal and that it doesn't work that way and it can't be and therefore the left has to control the government and then what exactly is Naftali Bennett going to do because he it's, can't go back to the voters because he goes back to the voters he doesn't cross the threshold he doesn't get elected to the Knesset it, it's funny how obvious all this is now out in the open because some of the the, the left-wing commentators have openly said that we only need Naftali Bennett to get rid of Netanyahu and afterwards we'll deal with him Almost in this language, someone called him the red carpet on which the left wing party will come into power, and he's he's going. Somebody right called into him a one night stand. He was yeah, right? yeah. a one night stand. Yeah, a one night stand. He's, it was Avagalon. She said it's not a romance; it's a one night stand, and he's stepping right into this trap because this. I think you know that the, the temptation of of Wikipedia. He's going to be. He's going to have a line <laughs> on Wikipedia saying he was prime minister of this Israel for five minutes. 
See, he doesn't understand that all you need to do to have anything at all written in Wikipedia is to become a friend of an editor of Wikipedia. That's it. You know, here, that's all you here, need. He, yeah. well, you could just you write just it. just came up with a solution yeah, to, to Israel's constitutional crisis. The Israeli it's an, solution. It's my exactly. book. I'm a solution maker. Yes. <laughs> no. So, so what's next, Carrie? Where, where is all this going? Are we going to... Where are we going to find our... Maybe by the time this podcast is broadcast... There will be some form of solution. What What are the options? Let's see how good we are at guessing. Uh, what do you mean? What's going to happen with 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 Naftali and and, and uh, with, with the coalition building? Just to sum up for our for those of us who right, well there is those who one got thing lost in the we, in the woods the, in the woods here. The question is whether those those parties that were detached from the right are going to go with the left wing coalition, or are they going to come back? To the to the right. So so where are we? And and where's um, oh and we have Ram to to we yeah. Have well, a, I think I think well, we have we have to talk about Ram, but we can just close this up if, and then get into our our big big fight over Ram because Gadi and I, you know, we 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 fight about we fight about this. We don't fight about much, but we fight about this, and we can discuss why, and who's right and who's wrong is I guess. Uh, God, God knows, but uh, and and anyway, nobody, nobody's thinking things through, so it doesn't really matter about our thoughtful analysis. But I'm sure you viewers will care, so we'll talk about that in a second. But just to close this out, look, you know, these three parties, well, two in particular, uh, Gidon Sar's New Hope Party and Avigdor Lieberman's uh, Israel Baitenu are a party, um, are so fueled by hate, I mean, they have no rationale at all. I mean, they have no guiding concept, no measurable ideological message that anybody can really understand, aside from the fact that they hate Netanyahu and all they want to do is destroy him and all they want to do is get him out of politics. And that's exactly what they intend to do. And that's what they've been working on all along. So I think that the chance that that will happen is nil. And 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 I think, you know, Gidon Saar is an interesting character because, um, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but uh, he he was a fair to middling uh, in minister of the interior, minister of education. But one of the things that happened along the way was that there were allegations made of him of of, of major sexual uh, issues, uh, harassment, and other things with with women and in nightclubs and and in the education ministry when he there, was there, there was there wasn't i don't think there was an investigation there was uh, an allegation. A, 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 there there was a, a an expose in some newspapers or so the rumor went and um allegedly they buried them they um, buried them but they no i think they opened up a check but they never closed it so he has these suspicions hanging over his head and we know what that does to a politician and how he decides what is most important to him, ideologically, of course, and on a values level, when he has this sort of Damocles hanging over his you know, neck and telling him that they can open up this very embarrassing criminal probe of his personal behavior at any moment of any day. And so that's one thing about uh, Gidon Saar that now presents himself as a man who all he cares about are, is professional integrity and Netanyahu is just, you know, he's no good and he's no good and he's not a really moral actor. He's he's a horrible person. We all hate him. And and that is the end of that. Uh, so that's one aspect of Gidon Saar. The other one is that, um, you know, he he and he has been sort of a subversive character in the Likud for for many years. And Netanyahu, I think, made it one huge mistake with him which is that he forgot the the wisdom of the godfather which is keep your friends close and your enemies closer so instead of you know uh trying to embrace gidon and not give him you know that opportunity to do anything because he's too close to you he pushed him away because he didn't he didn't trust him uh rightly um but that gave uh, uh gidon sar the ability to betray him and uh, and he has. And I think that the chance that they're going to come back or that they're going to make a deal is nil. And last night on the news, uh, Netanyahu even offered uh, the premiership to Naftali Bennett uh, for the first year of the next government in order to bring Gidon Saar in to have a, a working coalition so that there would be a rotation, that Naftali would get the prime minister for the, the premiership for the first 12 months and then Netanyahu would come back in. 
this is this is this whole idea that this construction can work is just in my mind it's a symbol of the depth of this crisis it's like a bureau complicated bureaucratic arrangement instead of a government in order to somehow juggle balls that don't fit together and, and i think i think netanyahu has been uh, fighting in this struggle in in a, in a way that i think was counterproductive and we'll talk about ram soon so i'll have more to say about that but if you are if you're a governing party you 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 can't you can't take part in 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 a a stunt of a political extortion with a shakedown artist who has seven seats in the parliament it's just you're giving up something too important and and this and and you're taking you're dragging yourself down into the gutter you know you have this problem in israel um and i think that we see this acutely playing out right now with netanyahu um and 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 i mean this in a complimentary fashion for him um which is that uh people act uh particularly uh, naftali bennett uh, but not only him uh, yair lapid as well and many others and so the premiership of Israel is just another job. It's just like it's like an accessory. Well, I was the education minister. I was the defense minister for five minutes. I was the uh, minister of the economy for a few for a year and a half. I have all the experience you need. I'm totally primed for the job. I can just do it. Um, and uh, it's no big deal. Uh, changing the driver in the raced car, you know, it's the same car, just a driver. Uh, but of course, that's a total totally insane, you know, notion, you know, you change a race car driver with your grandma, you know, she's not going to finish the Indy 500 alive and, you know, she won't get through a lap. And, uh, what we're you, talking about here, you don't know my grandma. It's, I'm, you just don't know my grandma. She All right. A, I didn't mean to, be, I wasn't, I was talking about know, grandma, some grandma, general grandma, a grandma, an apocryphal, right. An apocryphal grandmother, a, okay. a very strange grandmother because most grandmothers could totally Drive that sports car, you know, uh, go go through and win the Indy 500, no problem, right? That's just not a problem. But just in my in my non-existent, totally theoretical grandma, she couldn't possibly do that. And uh, here uh, you have a similar situation. Israel is the most complex country, and because uh, first of all, our governing system, as we're living through right now in this pro in this prolonged crisis, is is very difficult to run. Second of all, um, we are the most threatened country on the face of the planet. I mean, we have 150,000 missiles pointing at us only from Lebanon. If you add Syria, you add Gaza, you add Yemen, you add, uh, you add Iran, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of missiles all pointing at us. We are the bullseye for all of these people. And, and now we have a situation where in the West... Uh, it, it's the free world is being led by a man who is pushing an agenda that is transforming the United States of America into a post-constitutional democracy rather than a constitutional republic. Uh, he's spreading these, you know, the ideology of wokeness, of anti-Westernism, of of uh, uh, into the bloodstream of all aspects of public life in Israel, and this ideology. Is is sort of uh, hatred of Israel, hatred of the Jewish nation is is baked into this broth, and so you know we have we are facing the most hostile U.S. administration in the history of U.S.-Israel relations uh, that is empowering our worst enemies throughout the region who are pointing those missiles at us, and now we're gonna you know take out and boy I'm showing my uh, I'm showing my uh, I don't know, my my early onset dementia, my age, or the fact that I'm a girl and I didn't pay that much attention to race cars throughout you know, my life, but I suddenly can't think of uh, of, uh, of the most famous race car driver in, in the history of, of uh, race NASCAR. car driving. I can't help you with that. Yeah, no, I was thinking about, no, I wasn't thinking of NASCAR, but whatever, you're taking the best, the best driver we have and we're replacing him with an 87-year-old grandmother. Uh, with double cataracts and and uh, and you know this is this is a problem and so I think you know when you look and you say this isn't right a ruling party shouldn't be behaving this way he shouldn't be making these deals with all of these different you know crazy extortionary 
uh, uh, grifters that have made their made their way into positions uh, uh, in in the political in the political life of this country that we can't that are very difficult to extricate them from uh, in their little fiefdoms with you know five and a half people who vote for them. Uh, he sees the dangers. He sees the challenges, and I think that a lot of this is out of concern for Israel. You know, I don't. Everybody in the media that they all hate him and they've all been indoctrinating the public to despise Netanyahu and to have contempt for Netanyahu because they fear him so much because they know that he doesn't need them um, and that he's smarter than them and that he's done a really good job leading this country. So they're telling everybody that the reason why he's making these deals is the only thing that he cares about is his trial. But frankly, if all he cared about was his trial, he would not have remained in politics because the offer was basically on the table. We'll leave you alone. We know that everything that we're charging you with are actions that are non-criminal. We're pretending that non-criminal actions are criminal in order to turn you into a criminal, which you're not. That's basically what they said before the 2019 elections when when the attorney general, who is as crooked as a, as a, as a, as a cane, as a candy cane, uh, said uh, that he was going to indict Netanyahu. He made it very clear that if Netanyahu bowed out of politics, that he would leave him alone. So if all he cared about were his trial, he would have left politics and just, you know, gone off to pasture. That's not what he's doing. And I think that this this speaks to the opportunism of his of his opponents that they're pretending that the legal distress that he's in, which is purely, you know, the political politicization of of the law in order to get rid of him. Uh, that this is uh, that this is a is a is a that his his concern over his legal plight is what is uh, forcing his action, and I don't think that that's true. I really think that a left wing government at this time, uh, led by these people or any people on the left, frankly, in this uh, international environment, is very dangerous for this country. I think it's very dangerous for the region, and I and and I but, but and I fear me, for the, the future of this country. The worst thing. In, from all the bad options that we currently have, is that we'll have a short-lived Netanyahu government who will go down in flames and in shame, and then we'll hand over the the, the government to the left for a long time. So I think we can't, it, it, it's not, I, I see the urgency and we, we know, and, and now the United States is rushing back to the nuclear agreement with um, with Iran, but we are going to have at least three and a half more years of a hostile Biden administration who is bowing down to uh, Iran. And, and, and important as the six months now are, are um, it's not worth paying with these six months for, for three years of a left-wing government. Um, which is why I, I think maybe we should get into the question of Ram, because the key to, to, to forming that government is in uh, leaning on the Ram party, the joint Arab list, which is a no. It's branch. not the joint. It's not the joint Arab list. It's a separate party. It left the joint Arab list. Uh, no, Ram is is the United Arab list. Sorry, Arashima Aravit Ameuchedet. You're right. The United Arab uh, list is uh, is a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, and and they have the and the, and they're plan against Zionism is long term. <clears throat> so just to explain to our to our listeners what the what the the, the problem in f- forming this puzzle of the uh, coalition is is that Netanyahu has not enough seats um and he needs the religious Zionists on the one hand on his right and the the now um um outstretch arms of uh, Ram, of the United Arab List, which is going to save it. But the problem is that religious Zionists are not willing to sit with, with Ram. So um, so what's your solution to this quagmire? What, what, and, and I might say, again, I, I was against courting Ram because my fear was that once Netanyahu, the right wing, gives uh, legitimacy to an anti-Zionist Arab party, they will become... The how do you say Lashona Muznain? This is a, this is such an important phrase in Israeli they, politics. They, they, well, that they become the the tipping the tipping center of Israeli politics, and they will do the and 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 you give them the opportunity to divide and rule. This is this was my fear, but you right, think I'm so wrong, I, which I, is obviously I, wrong. Yeah, right. I'm obviously wrong, and you're obviously right. <laughs> 
but 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 no, before, I, I actually said you were obviously right. And I was. Oh, okay. Right. Well, good. Well, I was going to say, having conceded the point, I'll give my failing <laughs> argument at, at at all at, at at any rate. And obviously, you know, I I I don't. I, I I cannot disagree about the ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood. I cannot uh, disagree with the fact that members of uh, Ram Party of the uh, of the United Arab List Party uh, have uh, have gone and celebrated with terrorists upon their release from prison. These are people who murdered Israelis, uh, and uh, members of that party. Most recently, uh, a former member of Knesset from that party went and met with the uh, uh, released terrorist murderer who was paroled after you know twenty odd years in prison who murdered an Israeli soldier. Um, so I think you know there's no question that there are significant, significant uh, issues with this party and and the ability of any. Uh, of any of any uh, self-respecting Zionist party or politician or government to have them uh, supporting having the go cover the governing coalition be dependent on them abstaining from a vote of confidence uh, in the Knesset uh, that enables it to be formed. So I agree that there's a problem with that. I disagree with you on two things. One is I disagree with you on the damage that a left-wing government can and in all likelihood will do to this country if it's in if it's empowered and I also don't believe that it will be empowered for a short time I think that it will manage to survive for quite some time because Naftali Bennett uh will not want to go to elections and he will do everything that he can to keep that government going because he knows that he will not get reelected uh, so I think that that will have an impact on the on the longevity of that government obviously the left uh, we'll want we'll, to. In fact, if that if that government falls, it'll fall because the left and and this may happen. I think the likely scenario for such a government falling is that the left will overturn it because they'll think that having having pushed Netanyahu out of the premiership, they'll finally have an opportunity to win an election outright. So that they may want to topple the government. Um, that's possible, uh, but Naftali Bennett isn't going to be the one who overthrows that government after he's just completely betrayed all of his voters. Um, so that's one. And I think that even if they're only in there uh, for a year, you know, for six months until they're overturned, and then, you know, another three to six months until there are new elections, and then another government is formed, uh, that they can do a, an enormous amount of damage, particularly uh, in terms of what they're, what they're likely to do with the Biden administration, and what they're likely to do with the International Criminal Court, and what they're likely to do with the UN, and what they're likely to do in terms of, uh, of, uh, of uh, accepting uh, America returning to the nuclear deal or sharing intelligence about Israel's capabilities uh, with a government, uh, with an American administration that clearly as we saw from Zarif's leaked uh, conversation saying that uh, John Kerry gave him information about Israeli uh, Israeli uh, military strikes against Iranian targets in Syria, I think we can expect a lot more of that with this government, with this administration. So I think that they would be very dangerous. I think they'd be dangerous with what they would be doing with the PLO, with the Palestinian Authority, what they would be willing to do in the, in, in the territories. I don't believe that Naftali will block anything. I don't believe that Gidon Sar will block anything. I think that it'll be a very big problem. And, you know, we've had this in the past. And if we have it again at this time, it will be very dangerous. That's one thing. I I think that you're 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 not you don't see the danger as I do. That's one thing. The other thing um is I think that uh the precedent for uh working with these Anti-Zionist parties was already said. It was said when uh, uh, Yair Lapid tried to get a or he got a parliamentary majority that if uh, if Netanyahu hadn't formed this crazy uh, two-headed government with Benny Gantz uh, uh, last year uh, that fell because they hate one another and they see eye to eye on absolutely nothing. Um, if he hadn't formed that, then he, working with the joint Arab list, which was which is even more radical and is openly anti-Semitic, uh, they would have passed a law in the Knesset that barred Netanyahu from forming a government. But, uh, uh, for, wait, wait, wait. First of all, the precedent is Oslo. 
but these the the, the Rabin government, which which relied on on the support of the Arab parties, but that's all on the left. And what is happening is that we 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 prevented a left wing government because some of the right wingers in Benny Gantz's party, which was once a big deal, I don't know if anyone outside Israel can even follow remembers the, it. the many parties that appear and disappear, and 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 as you remember, two of its members could not vote for a government that a coalition that leans on or depends on the Arab parties. And now after Netanyahu has courted them, how will we have the moral force to say to Naftali Bennett and to the and to his list and to other MKs in his list? You can't do that because that's a line you do not cross because right. whenever, so you know, I, I you're think on Twitter, you see what they say. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, yeah, you know, look, Twitter is a sewer. And every time I'm on it, I say, why am I in a sewer? I, I don't want to be in a sewer. I want to leave a sewer. So I've actually been on Twitter a lot less over the past couple of weeks than I have in the past. And I'm probably just going to quit because I hate it. But uh, the uh, uh, um, the the thing of, of uh, moral and this is a moral line you don't cross. Um, I think we've had all too much talk on the right about morals when we see that we're acting, we're, we're, we're operating in a world of amoral actors, of opportunistic actors, of people who don't care about anything. And I think what you saw with the actions of uh, of uh, of those two uh, right wing breakaways who joined this left wing party and then used their power there uh, to to block the formation of a left wing government that relied on the Arab party was that they blocked a right wing coalition as well, because if they just joined the Likud outright and they could have, we would have had a stable governing majority with 61 members last year. So they block that and they're, they hold an enormous amount of responsibility for where we are today. And one of them is in the, the, the Knesset with Giron Sar. Both of them ran, one of them got elected, uh, and they don't have any problem with sitting with the Arabs today. So I think that their morality was morality for a minute and it didn't uh, bring about any, any great result for Israel and we have nothing to thank them for. Um, I also think that, um, you know, governing is not about uh, necessarily doing something that is pure, that is right, that you can look at yourself in the mirror afterwards, because government is choosing between uh, bad alternatives in, imper in an imperfect world with deeply flawed actors working with you. And that's what we have in Israel. No, no, that that's not a that, that's you're I, I think misreading my argument. I didn't. No, let say me. That the but problem, let me just the, finish my okay. argument because I'm on a roll. Why? Okay, let's finish it. I I just want to finish my argument and then you can argue with it after I've made it. So, you know, when you give up power because of you know you have you have values you won't you won't join a coalition that. Ram isn't even a member of it, just that they would abstain in the confidence vote of a 59-seat government to enable it to be formed. So there are, there are three points here that I want to make, and I'll try to make them briefly so that we don't go too far over time and that you can tell me why I'm wrong. But the first thing is that when you have power, you have power. You can do things with it. And if you have a 59-member government that is, you know, a coherent government that is that is joined in ideology that has joint, you know, shared convictions and shared goals. You can do a lot, and it doesn't matter whether you're in power for nine months or whether you're in power for four years. Uh, you can do a lot with that time, and maybe you can't pass laws in the Knesset so easily, but you can do a lot with just your ministries. That is very valuable, very worthwhile, and would make a big difference in governing in Israel. That's one thing. That's what you can do. The other thing is what you pay for allowing the other side to govern. And here again goes back to what I said before, that there is a clear and present danger in Israel. We saw it in 1992 when, you know, mm -hmm. all of these uh, uh, pure ideologues on the right toppled the Shamir government and Rabin came into power and he went on this misadventure with Yasser Arafat, gave him guns, legitimacy, territory, money, uh, and, and turned uh, uh, the Gaza Strip into Afghanistan, and he turned uh, uh, the Palestinian areas of Judea and Samaria into, you know, uh, terror statelets all over and unleashed the worst terrorism ever in this country, including back in state, uh, pre-state days. And then again, uh, uh, Hanan Porat and, and the ideological rightists toppled Netanyahu in 1999, and they brought us 
the Oslo War. They brought us the worst terrorism onslaught in Israeli history with the Barak government. So we know that transferring power to the other side is a deadly is a deadly uh, uh, thing to be doing. And so you're talking about two things. You're talking about what will happen if you if you don't have power, what you can't do, and what price the country is going to pay for giving the other side power. And the last thing that I want to say on that level is that there's another aspect to this, which is the longevity of this government. I, I don't see, you think that if they form a government and it falls very quickly, and I think that it will likely fall very quickly, um, I, I, that this is going to be a blot on the name of the right. Everything that the right wing does in Israel is a blot on their name because the media hates the right and they will take anything that the right wing does and present it as evil, as sinful, as immoral, and as illegal and corrupt. And so there's really, you know, when you're dealing with this kind of environment, which is poisonous to begin with, and you do something that will advance your agenda and block the other guy from his, all you can do is make your case to the public, right? That's all you can do. And either they believe you and you win, or they don't believe you and you lose. But in the meantime, you've taken the cards that you have, and these are crappy cards, you deal with them and you go with your hand. And that's what I think a 59-seat minority coalition that is is based upon the abstainment in one confidence vote, one in the Knesset by this party would do. And you can say, and I totally get it. I totally understand your side. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing the implications of one and done and that never works that way. And you're doing this. But we have a situation where you have 15 members of Knesset who are in openly anti-Zionist parties who are pro-terrorist. But you also have parties on the left that are equally, you know, I talked about Imtisan Marana and the blood libel that she spewed from the rostrum of the Knesset in her first speech in the Knesset as a member of Knesset, a blood libel. And, you know, you have other people like that uh, in these left wing in, in these left wing parties. So to pretend that there's a difference between the joint Arab list, the United Arab list and merits and the Labor Party under Merav Mikhaeli is is simply an optical illusion. It isn't true. And so, you know, we have a lot we have we have we have a lot of seats in the Knesset that belong to people who increasingly think that it's all right to call for the annihilation of the Jewish state in one way or another. And that's a problem because it's just like in the United States with the Republicans and the Democrats. It means that only one side of the political spectrum, it can be trusted with the keys to this nation. But the problem is that in a democracy, you, you, you can't constitutionally guarantee that. Although now the Democratic Party, who thinks that they are the party who are the only ones who can rule re responsibly is trying to change the rules. Right. But, but what I'm saying is that I, you, you present my argument if, if this, as if this was a question of moral purity, and it's not. It's a question of legitimacy, and and legitimacy is actually hard political currency. It's not this. I I, I totally agree with you about the puritanism of the the religious parties. They were. We, we've just had a disastrous. Um, historical miss under the Trump administration when the religious settlers rejected the Trump plan because allegedly it gives a, it, it it legitimizes the Palestinian state which of course the Palestinians would have rejected the plan and we could have we could have uh, applied Israeli law at least to this the, the, the wide strip of the Bikatayarden how do you say the Jordan the Jordan Valley, Valley and also to yeah. you know and also to all of the Jewish communities in in Judea and Samaria including my so, town of Ephrat you know but i'm not making a, an argument for moral purity what i'm saying is that once you make ram the united arab list a a legitimate party for the right as well then its voters and all other voters will treat it henceforth as the holding the balance of the whole system and they will use it as a wedge to because because the Muslim that's the long term plan. Now you're saying it's just a one time vote, um, but that's not true because because at any point they can vote against the government along with the opposition and topple it. So but that's you'll have fine. A government. No, but that, that's fine because right you, now what we have is a non functioning government, right? That is essentially controlled by the attorney general uh, through this through this division of power 
uh, equally between a party with 30 members in it and a party with eight members in it. Okay. And, and it's insane and it's totally illegitimate and it's caused Israel to be paralyzed at almost every level for over a year. So, you know, this is what we have and what this government would do would end that because then for a period, three months, six months, however long it lasts until Rom votes it out, um, you know, you have all of the members of this of this government agree with one another. There's only one prime minister and and he gets to make the decisions. I mean, you know, Israel has succeeded in getting out of the coronavirus first in the world because Netanyahu was the prime minister, not because he had Benny Gantz at his side as a co-prime minister. Everything that he did with Pfizer that got Israel the vaccine first in the entire world, which is a feat that, you know, Harvard Business School, if they were still a business school and Harvard were still Harvard, would be writing case studies about this and teaching what he did to their management students for the next hundred years. Okay. But he had to do it because it wasn't just that he did it uh, as prime minister. He did it with both hands tied behind his back with Benny Gantz subverting him from behind. And he did it behind Benny Gantz's back. So everything that Netanyahu did, he did like in, in a, in, as like a master of acrobatics and, you know, and a, cor- a contortion artist. And, and you look at this and you say, um, you know, this will be gone. This will be done for the length of the duration of this of this government. We won't have that anymore. We'll have a normal but, government, but, but and it'll saying, last for saying, nine Caroline, months. Is is you're you're willing to trade three or six or nine months for I don't know how long? And what I'm saying is is it, it first of all, what can happen is that if if uh, that already did this, legitimized Mansour Abbas and the United Arab list and. And now that's already we, been we, done. And now, and now we can't say anything when they, when, when Gidon Saar and Naftali Bennett, right-wing parties, uh, do the same. Because if you say anything, you'll say, "Well, you were going to do this, so we lost this card." And so we what, might as well and, and do it. Argument, so now, so my, now you're saying we're paying full price up front without getting a government. I'm saying let's pay full price up front and get the government. Because you're saying the that, price has already been argument. paid. That, that's a valid argument. But my fear is that whatever we build on this is going to be built on, uh, how do you say, cholot no dedim, sand I know, on shifting sands. On shifting sands, exactly. And, and, that's, and, and, and then when this collapses, we, we will have a long, cold winter of a left-wing government um, if, if, because it will, it will shatter the right. So that's my fear. Um, I don't know. It's a, a, it's anyone's guess which which of these will will unfold. Well, I think that by the time that this show is is up on live on the air, um, we'll probably know, and or we won't. I mean, because there's another option, which is that the the mandate for forming the government is going to be returned to the Knesset, which is I don't I don't know that that's ever happened. Which means that any member of the Knesset out of 120 who can get 61 other members of Knesset to recommend that he form the government, that he can form a government. And it doesn't have to be the head of a party. It can be somebody else. And so this is sort of seen as a way maybe to edge Netanyahu out and get somebody else from Likud to do that. The only problem with that is that for Netanyahu to be edged out of the chairmanship of the Likud, the Likud under its own constitution has to have primaries for leadership. So a lot of things can happen, but we are definitely seeing here, uh, uh, in, in a growing likelihood, uh, more likely than not, that Netanyahu will be uh, ending his premiership after you know 12 years in office. Israel will be entering into a period of profound weakness of leadership uh, and governments, uh, whoever runs the show. Um, and, uh, and we're doing it at a time that is acutely dangerous, uh, both from the perspective of the regional threats and of the rising regional threats as a result of America basically changing sides uh, in this war. Sort of, if they were in our tank, it's sort of like they they were in our tank, shooting the enemy with us under Trump, and Biden got out of the tank, got into the Iranian tank, and started shooting at us. And that's basically where we are today uh, with the Biden administration. And the prospects of war as a result are rising. They're rising. And and you know when Israel 
when Israel, uh, you know, sends out vibes of weakness to our region, um, they get picked up. And we're already seeing this in the uptick of uh, Iranian aggression against our merchant vehicles. We're seeing it in missile strikes against Israel from Gaza. We're seeing it in Palestinian terrorism here in, in Judea and Samaria. Yesterday, there was a a terrorist attack uh, in 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 Samaria, and three yeshiva students were shot. Two of them are still in mortal danger and in the in the hospital fighting for their lives. Uh, one is in critical condition. Um, so, and of course, we wish everybody uh, full and and speedy recovery. But uh, you know, this is what happens when the United States is sending out signals that uh, it doesn't have Israel's back anymore. And Israel, for its part, is uh, is projecting profound weakness in terms of governance. And Netanyahu, who everybody in the region fears and respects, is on his way out. Uh, uh, the likelihood of war, in war increases. And then, of course, if we are led by by strategic midgets, as, as is in increasingly likely today, that we're going to find ourselves in a very difficult uh, position uh, in dealing with 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 what what seems to be awaiting us. Yeah. Oh, that sniffle at the end was just the right the right note. Yeah. <laughs> no, you see, I'm I'm overwhelmed uh, because because it's really it really is scary. I don't remember. I don't How's remember. my microphone doing this week? I don't know if our viewers saw, but you know, last yeah. week we had we had a we had an audio mishap. So now I have this new, brand new microphone so um so next next time we'll speak hopefully we'll know something more because this has been torture it's like we don't we don't know where we're going for two years now it's... yeah look we, we've been we've been online for an hour we don't know what happens since we, started. <laughs> we don't know what happened in the hour that we were here all right okay take care Gotti. i'm glad to have you back I'm glad that our viewers are returning to us and come next week and hopefully we can talk less about Israeli politics and more about other things because the less news in Israel, the better. Uh, but uh, we'll definitely uh, keep you updated on what, what's happening and what's happened. And now my children are coming back home, so I have to run away <laughs> that's, anyway. That's a nice... Uh, saved by the, the bell. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, saved, saved by, by the, the bell. bell. All right. All take right. care. Thanks, Scouting. Thank you. Bye-bye.